I just love that. I, just, I love that. Don't you like that? I like that. I like that. Hey, how are you today? It's good to see you here. How, how are you today? My gosh, this is a big audience. We ought to be shaking the roof here, you know, or rattling, what do you call it, rattling the rafters or something. But I'm glad you're here. Welcome today. It's great to have you here. Turn to your neighbor, give him a high five and say, I'm so glad you're here today. Would you help me welcome Sandy in Vancouver? So glad that uh, you all are with us today. Uh, Sandy, this is an exciting day for Sandy because our new campus pastor uh, is out at Sandy today beginning uh, his ministry there, Don Gully and his wife, Jen, and uh, their children, Bo and Levi, and, and yet another one on the way. And so uh, welcome uh, to you guys, and thanks for joining our team here at Abundant Life. We are starting a brand new series today that we're calling Upside Down. How many of you would agree with me that in the world in which we live today, there is no shortage of wisdom? There's no shortage, or let me put it this way, of advice. There's no shortage of advice. There's no shortage of people. No matter what you're going through, no matter what dilemma you find yourself in, no matter what problem you're facing, somebody uh, out there has words of wisdom for you. I, I came across some words of wisdom this past week that I thought are very appropriate, very helpful to you today. If you don't get anything out of Jesus' teaching, then maybe this will help you. Do not walk behind me, for I may not lead. Do not walk in front of me, for I may not follow. Do not walk beside me either. Just leave me alone, okay? <laughs> or I, I plan on living forever. So far, so good. I am in shape. Round is a shape. If you lend someone $100 and you never see that person again, it was probably worth it. That's, that's good advice, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, you're thinking, you know, now that I think about it, it was worth it. Yes, yeah, 100 bucks to see this person get out of my life. Okay, here's one. If, uh, if at first you don't succeed, then skydiving is definitely not for you. Okay, that's... Good advice, right? And this is my favorite. Stupidity got me into this mess. Why can't stupidity get me out? <laughs> okay? And so there's, there's all kinds of wisdom out there. And then there are the teachings of Jesus, the, the, the true wisdom that really rocks our world. It changes our world. It, it changes everything. It changes everything. Jesus was a great teacher. Jesus was uh, by far the greatest teacher who ever walked on the face of this earth. Jesus taught uh, in temples. Jesus taught on boats. Jesus taught from the hillside. Jesus' teachings, um, they comforted the broken. They, the, the teachings of Jesus, they confused the wise. The, the teachings of Jesus, they made angry the religious. And that's what I love about the teachings of Jesus. But, but no matter who you were or where you were coming from, if you heard Jesus' teachings, you were never left the same. Jesus' teachings had a way of changing people and rocking their world, turning their world upside down. And so that's what we're talking about today. We're getting ready to go into this summer uh, the teachings of Jesus from, from what's called the, the Mount of, of Beatitudes. How many of you have heard of the Mount of Beatitudes before? Raise your hand. 
okay? Uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard of the Sermon on the Mount. I, I was raised in church, but I have to admit, when I was younger as a little kid, whenever the Sunday school teacher would talk about the Sermon on the Mount, I would think, I would picture Jesus on a horse or Jesus on, and maybe, and some of you may have thought, well, I'll bet that's why they call the Sermon on the Mount, because Jesus came riding in on his horse and, and was teaching. How many of you thought that? Five or six of you back there? No. Okay. No. They, they weren't because Jesus rode a horse or something, uh, but it's because that's where he was. He was on a mountain, the Sermon on the Mount, and so Jesus went up to the mountain to teach. In fact, I've got some pictures. I've been there. Going to be going back there again in February if you want to go. Here's a, a shameless plug. This is a picture of the Sermon on the Mount. You can't really see it in this picture, but in the background is the Sea of Galilee. And this is kind of taken from up on top. And then here's another picture. If you're on the Sea of Galilee and you're in a boat, then this is what the Sea of Galilee, this is what the sea of Galilee looks like. And it's also what the Mount of Beatitudes. You see that, that church back in the background. Of course, that wasn't there then. But, <laughs> but you can see there on the hillside, uh, way back up by that building, Jesus would have been gathered and there and all thousands of people would have been gathered around with him. Here's another picture back up from on top of the mountain that kind of gives you a, a good view looking back down toward the Sea of Galilee. And you'll see it off to the left in the top left corner. Jesus was teaching. And it's in this Sermon on the Mount uh, that uh, contain a number of very famous teachings of Jesus. It's in there that you will read the, um, the model prayer. People refer to it as the Lord's Prayer. And all of you here have heard of it, our Father which art in heaven. You know, probably everybody here has repeated that prayer at some time or another. It's in this famous Sermon on the Mount that we find the golden rule. Anybody here remember what the golden rule is? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You'll find that in the Sermon on the Mount. It's in this Sermon on the Mount where you'll find these teachings where Jesus said things like, uh, you've heard it said, but I say. And so he would say things, you've heard it said that um, you should not kill, but I say, don't even get angry with your brother. You've heard it said, uh, uh, do not commit adultery, but I say, don't even look lustfully uh, on another woman or else you've already committed adultery in your heart. And he went on with a number of, you know, you've heard it said, but this is what I say. And so it's in this passage of Scripture, the, the Sermon on the Mount, that we find perhaps the most popular teaching of Jesus, and that's what is referred to as the Beatitudes, where Jesus began. Does anybody remember the word that Jesus used as he began the Beatitudes? Blessed. The word blessed. Everybody say Blessed. Blessed. And we're going to look at that in just a few moments. And so what happens is, after probably what was several days of Jesus' teaching, um, people said things like this. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 28, when Jesus had finished saying these things, these things mean the, the sermon he just finished teaching. It wasn't a 35-minute sermon like what you, know, you get from me. Uh, it was, this is like days of teaching. And they said um, they were amazed. They were just amazed. They were astounded at Jesus' teaching. And the reason is because the teaching of Jesus was so countercultural. It, it literally rocked their world. It, it, really, it literally turned upside down the religious teaching of that day. I want to begin this, this message today and this series by having you think of a time when you were rejected. Think of a time when you... Um, were not included. Think of a time when you, your name was not put on the list. Think of a time when you were turned away. 
Okay, you got that time? I remember, for me, uh, down in Mexico, I've shared this with you before. This is several years ago, probably 10 years ago now. I was down in Mexico, and uh, joining us were two of our friends, Dennis and Karen, and uh, they were down there with us, and we were all excited for them to be with us, and we were going to spend the week and all this stuff. And so this evening, we go out to eat dinner, and we show up at the restaurant, and uh, they say, I'm sorry, but you can't come in. I said, well, why not? Because you have more shorts. And I said, so? And uh, they said, because, well, because we don't allow shorts in here. And so I can make this a really long story, but let me just put it this way. For the next 30 minutes, I was livid. I was so upset. I was so mad. I was saying, you know, who wears, I mean, who wears long pants in Mexico? I didn't bring long pants. So you're telling me that for the whole week, I can't come into your restaurant because I don't have long pants. And they said, that's right. And I said, well, let me see the general manager. I want to talk to the general manager. And so I went to the front desk, and, well, he can't see you. I said, well, why not? And so, I mean, I'm, I said, tell him to bring me a pair of his pants so I can wear his pants because <laughs> you didn't tell me. There's no way in the room. I'm an owner here, and you didn't tell me that I was supposed to wear long pants, and now I can't come to your restaurant. And this went on, went on. After about 30 minutes, I won the battle. And, and, uh, but we decided not to go to the restaurant after all that. <laughs> And the reason we decided not to go to the restaurant was to go, we don't want to go to your dumb restaurant. And, and you'd probably spit in our food anyway. And so we don't want to, want to go to your restaurant. So the next day, we are in church. We found a little church there in Cabo to go to church. And it was a small church, about 50 people. And as all these churches do, they have a meet and greet time. And so there was this great-looking couple sitting right in front of us. And he was really well-dressed, beautiful kids, and all this stuff. And, and they said, to stand up and greet one another. So they stand up, and we stand up and said, hi, my name is George. And we're vacationing down here, George Powell. And uh, do you guys live here? They said, yeah, we do. I said, well, what do you do? What do you do? Of course, I asked you vacation. So now we live here. I said, really, what do you do? He says, I'm the general manager of dreams. <laughs> oh, really? I'm staying there. He says, I know. I recognize your name. <laughs> so that gives you a picture of just, just how livid I was. He recognized my name and I was mad. I was upset because I was not included. I was turned away. I was turned away. Now in Jesus day, there were a group of people they knew everybody who was included on the list. They knew who was invited to the party. They knew who, who was allowed to come and who was not allowed to come. They were the scribes and the Pharisees. They were the religious elite of the day. They were the superstars of the faith of the day. They would be the Rory McElroys of the faith. They would be the um, Michael Jordans of the faith. They'd be the George Straits of the faith. They'd be uh, the Garth Brooks, okay, of the faith. They were, they were the elite of the elite, and they were on the list and nobody else was invited except for them. And they took great pride in the fact that they were invited and nobody else was really invited. And so one day, along comes this rabbi, a new rabbi in town, and his name was Jesus. And he's the one uh, of whom John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, he looks up one day. He's baptizing people in the Jordan River. He looks up and he says, oh, oh, there he is now. There's Jesus. There's the one I was talking about. He's, he's the one who is the Savior of the world, the Lamb of God. And so he baptizes Jesus, and, then Jesus, and this begins his public ministry, okay? This is where Jesus' public ministry starts. And no sooner does Jesus begin teaching in his public ministry that people begin following him, not by the hundreds, but by the thousands people are following him. In Matthew 4, 24, it says, Now, good news about him spread all over Syria, 
And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. And large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan, they followed him. I mean, all of these people are following Jesus. And so there's thousands of them are following him. Now, the key to understanding what Jesus is about to teach them in the Sermon on the Mount, especially this part of the, the, the Beatitudes, I think is found in verse 23 in chapter 4, where it says, Jesus went throughout Galilee and in their synagogues preaching what? Come on, say it with me. Preaching the good news about the what? The kingdom, preaching the good news about the kingdom. You see, a lot of people, when they think of God's kingdom, and even then, when they thought of God's kingdom, they thought of a kingdom that was to come, something that was in the future. But what Jesus is, is going to say and teach is that the kingdom of God is here. It's now. It's present. It is among you. It's not something that's just for the future and for when you die. It's here right now. It's in this, this famous Sermon on the Mount that Jesus had the prayer, the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, where he said, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And so I'm sure that people are wondering, well, what does this kingdom look like? And who's invited to the kingdom? Because I don't think we are. The average Joes would say, I don't think we're invited into the kingdom. And the Pharisees and the scribes have made that quite clear, that we don't make it, we don't measure up. They get to come, but we don't get to come into the kingdom. And so they're all gathered around, and in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus begins this Sermon on the Mount. And if you can, can picture this, Jesus is here. He's, he's teaching thousands of people all around. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, and it begins like this. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside, and he sat down. So Jesus went up there, and he just sat down. And then his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, there's that word, blessed, blessed. Now, if you can picture this, Jesus is up on the hillside. He's gathered around. He's sitting. The people have come together. They probably have their, their little red igloo coolers. They probably have their, their picnic basket and their blanket, and they're all spread out, and they're listening, and they're wondering, what's he going to say? What's he going to say? And Jesus doesn't start with a joke. He doesn't start with some kind of reading or any of that. He starts by saying, blessed, blessed. And this is a very powerful word. The word blessed is makarios, makarios. Everybody say makarios, makarios. It meant divine favor. This was the highest blessing that could be bestowed on a person. It meant, it, it had the idea of sacred delight. Sacred because it came from God and delight because it offered true happiness. Because it, it literally means, if you, if you kind of break it down, it, Macarius literally means happy. Happy are those. But you and I, when we use the word happy, it's such a superficial word. I, I hope you're happy today. You know, that doesn't really mean much. And we're going to talk more about that next week as we get a little bit further into this. But when Jesus says makarios, the people that day, they knew exactly what Jesus was saying. They knew that, that Jesus was bestowing on them the absolute highest blessing that, that he could possibly give to them. And so I, I imagine Jesus as, he, as he's teaching 
as they often did, Jesus was great at using object lessons. And the object lesson that Jesus needed that day wasn't the hillside. It wasn't the Sea of Galilee that was out there in the distance. The, the object lesson were the very people that were gathered all around him. And I can picture Jesus. Is maybe he was sitting, and then maybe as he began teaching, he stood up, and maybe he began walking around. And he put his hand on this person's shoulder. And, and he said something. And then, then he put his, his, his hand on this person's head as he walked by. And then he walked by and he just kind of just touched this person here. And he, and he made eye contact with this person over here. And he, and he looked back in the crowd and he could see. And he's just walking around and he's teaching. And he says, blessed, makarios, God's divine favor, sacred delight is upon you. And what's he saying? Jesus' words are so powerful. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, blessed are the spiritual zeros, the lost causes, the spiritual beggars, those without an ounce of religion, those in spiritual poverty. You're invited into the kingdom. Those, those who have no spiritual position of authority. They occupy no, no places of power. In fact, probably the only seat they could possibly occupy would be an empty one in an auditorium. They literally have nothing to offer to the kingdom. Those with no spiritual qualifications whatsoever. What we have to understand here, Jesus was not saying what a great thing it is for you to be poor in spirit. That's not what he was saying. What he was saying was, because you are poor in spirit, blessed are you. The kingdom of God belongs to you. And you see, what's so ironic about this is this teaching of Jesus was against the backdrop of the scribes and the Pharisees who knew they were on the list. In fact, they knew who was on the list and who wasn't on the list. They would be the people who were sitting in the restaurant in their fine clothes, sipping their great wine and looking in disgust. Who are these people who come in here with shorts? I can't believe they would allow such riffraff, such low light to come into our restaurant and eat among us. I mean, that's, that's who they were. They were pompous, and they were in the kingdom. They knew they were in the kingdom, and nobody else measured up. And so Jesus comes along, and he says, blessed are their spiritual zeros, because the kingdom belongs to you. And then maybe Jesus, as, as he's teaching, he looks across the crowd, and he notices several people who are weeping. And Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Maybe he just looked into the eyes of a, of a wife whose husband just left her. Maybe he's looking into the eyes of a mother and a father who just lost their son. Maybe he catches eyes with uh, an older gentleman who just lost his job, and now he doesn't know what he's going to do, and, and he thinks this weeping will never stop, and he looks at that person and he says, Blessed are those of you who mourn because you're going to be comforted, because you have to understand something that God specializes in turning mourning into dancing. And then maybe Jesus, he saw a gentle, a tender type of person, the kind of person who is easily taken advantage of. And he looks and he says, blessed are the meek, because they 
will inherit the earth. You know, maybe Jesus, as he's looking, as he says this, he pictures maybe an older gentleman who, who all of his life was shy, who was intimidated, and he, he was this, this unassertive kind of person. He's the kind of guy who always stepped off the path to let other people pass by. And every time something went wrong, somehow or another, he felt he was kind of to blame for it. Maybe he could have done something about it. They're the kind of people who don't do well in highly competitive environments. They're the kind of, of people who are kind of quiet and they're meek. And, and unfortunately, because they're meek, people assume that they're weak people. Because after all, who wants to be Weak, and they so they have the wrongful assertion they're weak. I mean, you don't, you never hear, you'll never hear the Marines say the Marines are looking for a few meek men, do you? And so Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, because even though they won't make big land grabs on this earth, they will inherit the earth. And I, I think Jesus, as he looks around this crowd, and he saw some people who were not quite so hot on the moral scale. And every day, they lived with this sense of shame. They lived with this sense of embarrassment. They lived with a sense of guilt because they were constantly plagued by the sin in their life. And they so longed to do what was right. I mean, if they, if they could just live one day, if they could just go one day and not sin, oh, that would be so good for them. And so Jesus looks at this person who's embarrassed, can probably hardly make eye contact with Jesus. And, and Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and they thirst for righteousness because they will be filled. He says, you'll be filled, not because you deserve it, not because you're good, not because you were able to be good for one day, but because I invite you into the kingdom. You're on the invitation list. And then maybe as Jesus is walking through the crowd, maybe as he's looking, he scans across and he sees an old couple who can barely make ends meet. Let's say they, they have their own store, their own business, and they're hardly able to make ends meet, but they're so kind, they're so gracious to people that every time someone comes and they can't pay, they're, they're just, their mercy just oozes out of them and they just give it away. They just give it away. And they can hardly care for themselves. Jesus looks at this, this couple and he says, blessed Blessed are the merciful because they will be shown mercy. The merciful are despised today by the Simon Cowells of this world who know how to pull no punches. They, they're the kind of people who they, they know how to give someone the boot. They know how to send somebody packing and never even give it a second thought. Blessed are the merciful because they will be shown mercy. And then maybe as Jesus was teaching his eyes caught the eyes of one of the Pharisees who was no likely, no, no doubt, standing back on the edge of the crowd, uh, the crowd just with his, his arms folded and, and kind of in disgust at all that what Jesus was teaching. He catches eyes with this Pharisee, this, this scribe, and he says, And blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. Because Jesus knew the Pharisees so well, Jesus consistently challenged people to have a righteousness that was greater than the righteousness of the Pharisees. You see, they, they cared so much about what they looked like on the outside. They wanted to make sure that everybody knew they were spiritual people. They wanted to make sure that everybody knew they were on the list. If anybody was going to get into the kingdom, it would be us because look how spiritual we are. And Jesus looks and he says, blessed are the pure in heart, the pure in heart. 
because they'll see God. And, and then Jesus maybe saw someone who was, I guess you could say, the peaceful type, always looking to bring reconciliation to broken relationships and helping those people who are at odds with one another. And he looks at this person and says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. After all, isn't, isn't Jesus the prince of peace? And didn't Jesus say that blessed are those and how beautiful are those who's, who who are the feet of those who proclaim the message of peace. And then Jesus was so observant that day that my guess is Jesus' eyes caught the tearful eyes of one who would rather suffer injustice than compromise her faith, her beliefs, her values. Maybe she was just fired from a job or denied a promotion because she refused to compromise her values and she took a stand for what was right even though it cost her and Jesus says and blessed are those of you who are persecuted for righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of God and then finally Jesus catches the eyes of of those who are being ridiculed those who are being insulted for following after the way of this this lunatic named Jesus and he looks at that person and says and blessed are you when people insult you and they persecute you falsely and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. I mean, can you see what Jesus is doing here? Jesus is walking among the crowd. He's looking, he's sitting, he's walking, he's teaching. He's looking at this person. He looks at this person and he sees this person over here. And what Jesus is saying to the crowd that day is you're invited You're welcome. You're on the list. You can come. You won't be turned away. Jesus had all of these object lessons who were sitting all around him. There's so many lessons that can be learned from the Beatitudes. For example, the Beatitudes teach us that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, it's here and it's now. You don't have to wait until you die before you experience the kingdom of God. You don't have to wait until you die before you experience the presence and the joy and the, and the help and the, 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 the love and the kindness, the goodness that only Jesus can give. You don't have to wait until you die. The kingdom of heaven is here right now. It's a party to be enjoyed right now. It makes you wonder, why aren't Christians more joyful? We're in the kingdom right now if you follow him. The Beatitudes teach us that true happiness is found not from what is going on around you, but from what's going on within you, what's happening within you. It has absolutely nothing to do with what's going on around you. Jesus' teaching here is teaching us that true happiness has nothing to do with the externals, has nothing to do with the externals at all. It has everything to do with this friendship that you have with Jesus that's being formed on the inside. Jesus at work within us. The Beatitudes teach us about who can be blessed, not how to be blessed. They teach us about who can be blessed, not how can be blessed. Jesus is not telling us who qualifies for the kingdom. This is not a how-to list of how to get into the kingdom. Jesus is not saying this is how you get into the kingdom. Jesus is not saying if you do this, I will give you this. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. Jesus is saying even because you're this, you're still invited into the kingdom. 
They're not a formulaic approach to getting into the kingdom. If they were, it would be nothing more than a bunch of a bunch more legalism that would be heaped onto the people, even more than what the scribes and Pharisees had already put on them. And so Jesus is not saying to the people, this is how you get into the kingdom. They're not instructions on how to do anything. Jesus is saying, you're accepted into the kingdom. Now, are there principles that we can learn from the Beatitudes? Yes, absolutely. In fact, we'll be unpacking those as we go through this, this series. The Beatitudes teach us that all of us are invited into the kingdom. If, if nothing else, what Jesus is saying is, you're invited into the kingdom. You're invited into the kingdom. You're invited, you're invited into, into you, sitting way back there. Yes, you, you're invited into the kingdom. Every one of us are invited into the kingdom. Jesus made it unmistakably clear that you measure up. You get to come in. You're on the list. You won't be turned away if you come. That's what Jesus was saying to all these people who all their life have been told, you don't measure up. You don't have what it takes. You don't deserve to get into the kingdom. You're not on the list. Dallas Willard in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, he expresses it so well. He says, blessed are the physically repulsive. Blessed are those who smell bad, the twisted, the deformed, the too big, too little, too loud, the bald, the fat, the old, the black, the white, the red. For they are riotously celebrated in the party of Jesus. Blessed are the seriously crushed ones, the flunkies, the dropouts, and the burned outs, the broke and the broken, the drug hits and the divorced, the HIV positive, the brain damaged, the incurably ill, the barren and the pregnant too many times or at the wrong time, the swindled, the shoved aside, the replaced, the parents with children on the street, the lonely, the incompetent, the stupid, the emotionally starved or emotionally dead, and on and on and on. Even the moral disasters will be received by God as they come to rely on Jesus, count on him, and make him their companion in his kingdom. This is precisely the gospel of heaven's availability that comes to us through the teachings of Jesus and the Beatitudes. I'm invited. You're invited into the kingdom. But here's the question. Will you accept the invitation you're invited you're invited guess what you're invited into the kingdom you see here here's the deal if jesus were here today and if jesus were teaching this sermon he could walk around this room and he could look at every one of you in the eye every single one of you he could look you in the eye and and although i can't do it he would look at you and he would know what it is in you that you think is keeping you off the list he would say i know your past i know what you did i know what you did last night you're invited into the kingdom. I, I know you can't get over what you did six years ago. You're invited into the kingdom. I, I know that you have a problem with drinking and, and you wish you could just overcome that. You wish you could. You're invited into the kingdom. And, and you, 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 I know nobody else knows about that addiction that you have. I do. I do, and I still love you, and my blood covers you, and guess what? You're invited into the kingdom. I, I know that you're doing everything you can to keep your marriage together. I know you're fighting. I know he doesn't want it. She does, and you're struggling, and you're fighting, and you don't think it's going to stay together. I want you to know something. You're invited into the kingdom. 
You're invited. You see, that's what Jesus is saying. I, I, I know what you're dealing with. I know what you're struggling with. I know why you think you don't belong in the kingdom. I know why you think you're not good enough to come into the kingdom. And guess what? You're not good enough. You never will be good enough. Jesus raised the bar so high. He raised the bar so high that not even the scribes and the Pharisees could live up to it. So that the only way you would ever get into the kingdom would be to come into the kingdom through him. Today, if, if you haven't surrendered your heart to Jesus, you need to know something. He invites you into the kingdom. The question is, will you come? Will you accept the invitation? I'm going to ask you if you'd bow your head, and as we close out today, if, if your desire is to say yes to Jesus, yes to his invitation, I'm going to ask you if you'd, if you'd pray this prayer after me aloud. And for all of you who, you know in your heart you've made this decision to follow Jesus, and you know you're on the list, you know you've been invited, would you also pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for extending the invitation to me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for inviting me into your kingdom. I know I don't deserve it, but I desperately need it. Thank you for your forgiveness. Today, I choose to follow you. I choose to accept your invitation. I pray this in your name. Amen.